right. Well, as uh, jo- as Donnie and Sean said, we are going to be in John chapter 13 today. John chapter 13. So if you go ahead and open your Bibles and turn there. This year as a church, we are going through the Gospel of John. We set out at the beginning of the year, uh, just like we do each year, to take time to pray and to seek the Lord of God. What are you speaking to us this year? Where are you leading us as our good shepherd? And one of the things that the Holy Spirit uh, spoke to us was that this was a year of just renewed response to Jesus' invitation to all who are hungry and all who are thirsty to come to him to eat and to drink, to feast on him who is the bread of life, to drink from him who is the water of life that we might find satisfaction for our souls in him. We sense the Lord highlighting three particular areas in the home, in the church, and in the city, as Donnie says. So we have been journeying through the gospel of John as part of what does it look like for us as a church family to encounter Jesus. So thankful for Marshall preaching from John 12. Last week, I was out sick. I still have a little bit of a cough, but I'm, I'm, I feel good. I just don't know why my voice sounds like gravel. So please bear with me. And I have my water up here uh, as well. But we're going to be in John chapter 13 today as we look at Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Part of our journey this year in encountering Jesus is, is looking at how do we encounter him in the home. And we talked about daily having time with the Lord. And we went through what does that look like? One of the things that I shared with you, a simple way to really draw life from the scripture is through an acronym called BREAD, uh, which gives us a little guide as we read through scripture. So we're just going to do that today because it's been uh, a few months since we covered this. And I want to make sure as a pastor here in this church family that all of us feel equipped to dig into God's word, to feast on God's word, and that in God's word will be a place that we encounter Jesus afresh. So the B in bread stands for uh, begin with prayer. So we're going to take just a moment to pray over God's word. This is a book with uh, so much profound insight, and we need God's help in our lives to help us understand it. So Jesus, we open ourselves up, Lord, and we are humbling ourselves before you. We're asking God that you would come and that you would teach us, Lord. God, would you come and would you break open your word before us? Would you feed your people? Or we know that you said that we don't live by the bread that we're going to eat at lunch alone, Lord, but that we live by the words breathed from your mouth. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak to us? Jesus, we want to encounter you in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. The R in bread stands for read deeply. And so we're going to take time to read John 13 uh, and go slowly through it. So if you have your Bibles, if you pull them out in front of you, it'll also be on the screen. But I really encourage you, uh, there's Bibles underneath the seat racks in front of you. I encourage you to go through God's word right before you. I'm going to read it as a part of our R, and then we're going to encounter the Lord there. John 13, chapter 1. Uh, Verse one, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse two, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Verse nine. Then Simon Peter responds, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew, Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Such a powerful story as we read it. The E in bread is encounter Jesus. And so as I've been studying this this week, reflecting on this this week, preparing for this morning, there are three places where I believe that the Lord wants to encounter us in his word. As we encounter Jesus in this passage, as he is washing feet, we encounter him and he reveals to us God's character. So as we encounter Jesus washing feet, we encounter a revelation of God's character. As we encounter Jesus washing feet, we encounter a reflection of God's love. And as we encounter Jesus washing his disciples' feet, it realigns for us what it looks like for us to live as his disciples. So as we go through this passage, those are things we're going to look at. We're going to get a revelation of God's character. We're going to see a reflection of God's love. And we're going to be realigned as his followers of what it really looks like to follow Jesus. What's important to him? What does he want our lives to look like? So first, he reveals God's character. This passage shows us a picture of Jesus. And in doing that, it shows a picture of what God is really like. For the first 12 chapters of John, things have progressed from story to story. Uh, John tells us in the end of the book that there were so many things, so many parts of Jesus' life that he couldn't include them all in one book. So he needed to pick and choose certain parts, certain highlights to tell the story of Jesus that you and I might come to know Jesus. And so he has done that through chapter one all the way up until chapter 12. Scholars believe that the time period of chapter one through chapter 12 lasted about three years or so. So it's gone slowly through those three years. But here in chapter 13, 
we turn a corner from chapter 13 all the way until chapter 18. So I believe that's five chapters or so. All of that occurs in a 24-hour period. So the first 12 chapters of John span over three and a half years. What we start today and will be in for the next several weeks happens in one 24-hour period. So imagine watching a movie and it's progressing along, taking you through the characters' lives, building up, and then there's one 24-hour period where they spend a significant portion of the movie focused in on the events there. John wants us to see of all the things he could put in about Jesus' life, (coughs) that this 24-hour window, starting with Jesus washing his disciples' feet and leading up to his crucifixion, are incredibly significant for us knowing and believing and understanding who Jesus is and the life that is available to you and me in those uh, in his life. At the end of chapter 12, Jesus withdraws from being out in the public. He has moved from being in the, the face of the public, now taking his disciples into a room to celebrate the Passover meal. So imagine in your minds, Jesus gathered around with his disciples for this meal that was a deep part of their culture. It's Jesus and the 12. And maybe there are a few others in there we don't know here in scripture, but we see Jesus with his small group of disciples gathered in the room to celebrate the Passover meal. <coughs> Excuse me. The Passover meal again was so significant in the Jewish culture that Jesus emerges from. It was the celebration of God delivering his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery and bringing them into freedom. <coughs> I've not coughed in a few days and this morning something has got me. So My apologies. So he brings them. They're celebrating this meal of being delivered by God into land of freedom. And Jesus, as we know, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is the true and better version of the Passover lamb. So this is a really important meal for him to share with his disciples. Excuse me. So he's sharing this meal with them and this event unfolds of him washing their Feet. That's what we're going to uh, look at. And this reveals the character of God. This reveals the humility of Jesus. That this act of Jesus, the, the master, the teacher, washing the feet of his disciples, washing the feet of his disciples is a revelation of what Jesus is like. This would have been stunning in their day. In fact, uh, in A.D. 400, uh, the pastor Severian of Gabala uh, wrote this on his sermon on Jesus washing his feet. And I updated this for the way we speak uh, in our present time. But I think this helps paint the picture of it. (coughs) Jesus, the one who is clothed in light as in a robe here, was clad in a cloak. Jesus, the one who wraps the heavens in clouds, here wraps himself in the towel of his servant. Jesus, the one who pours the water into the rivers and the seas at creation, here dips some water into a basin. And Jesus, the one before whom every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow, here kneels to wash the feet of his disciples. 
Humility up until this time was not a virtue in the culture, the Roman culture that ruled the day. In Roman and Greek culture, humility was not valued. What was valued was honor or esteem. In fact, you wanted to avoid being humbled. You wanted to avoid the appearance of humility at all costs. In Greek literature, in their famous ethics book, there is no mention of the word humility or the concept of humility that would esteem it. What they pointed to, what Aristotle, amongst others, pointed to was the goal of life. What you really wanted, a good life, was one that was marked by honor and reputation. And so the culture of his day, what dominated it was a desire for honor, a desire for people to see how great I am, what I've done, and to give me the honor that I deserve. Thank you. Maybe the coughing is for my humility this morning. Who knows? Thank you guys for bearing with me. That's what their culture was about, was about pursuing honor and avoiding being shamed or being humble at all costs. The leader of the day, uh, or the, lead, the, the famous leader of that time, Augustus Caesar, in fact, who they called the Lord, they called the son of God. They called the one who is the savior of the world. That's what he was known as in Roman culture. Before he died, he wrote his own autobiography to put up at his mausoleum to make sure that people remembered and saw just how honorable he was. He wrote an account, a 2,500 word account in Latin penned by the emperor himself that if we read it today, we would cringe over the self-congratulation nature of what he wrote. He wrote these things, so he said, so that people would honor, uh, would know the honor that had been in his life and the honor that had been decreed on no one else that he was that great, <clears throat> that had been given to him <coughs> by the Senate, recognized by the people of Rome on account of Augustus's great courage great clemency, great justice, and great piety. This is what he wanted people to remember him by, Augustus Caesar, about how great he was. Now contrast that with Jesus. Jesus, knowing what is going to happen, knowing that he is going to the cross here, does not tell his disciples, I want you guys to remember just how awesome I am. But Jesus here takes this opportunity to humble himself. The reason why today, the reason why today uh, in all of our leadership classes here in America, if you took them that humility would be a value or a virtue is not because we have inherited that as a part of Western civilization from Roman culture, but because the example of Jesus and the humility of Jesus has shows, so shaped his people that now in our generation, humility is seen as a leadership value. But it was not that way then. It revealed the character of God, the nature of Jesus. In fact, interestingly enough, um, the cross, which brings the end to this 24-hour day of Jesus, 
The cross was Roman's symbol, was Roman Empire's symbol to humiliate people. That the power of the cross was that you would crucify people and it would bring humiliation to them and those like them. And Jesus himself is going to go to the cross and turn it not just into a symbol of humiliation, but a symbol of God's humility. That this is what God is like, that God himself is humble. I love this. The story of the washing of the feet in Jesus is a window into the entire passion narrative, into the entire narrative of Jesus' crucifixion. And here, Jesus took the concept of God, which from time and eternity included ideas of omnipotence and domination. And here, Jesus completely recasts it. John realizes that Jesus has brought into the world a radically new understanding of God and humanity. So here we encounter Jesus revealing the humility of God. <coughs> there are a few places in scripture where Jesus talks about his own character. One of those happens in the chapter uh, in the book of Matthew in chapter 11, where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And in me, you will find rest for your souls. This is something that reveals what Jesus is like, that Jesus is humble. That Jesus, the one who deserves all the honor here in this moment and on the cross and for eternity is revealed in humility. This is a mark of our king. He is the humble king. I love that. I just sat with that over and over and over again this week. The humility of Jesus. And humility is awesome when we see it as like a value statement at your company or in a school or in a leadership book. You're like, oh yeah, I want to be humble. When you try and live humility, it's very challenging. It's very costly. And here Jesus is not just saying, hey guys, you should be humble. <clears throat> but he is demonstrating what humility looks like. And here, as we're in God's word, we encounter Jesus as our humble king. He gives us a revelation of the character of God. In addition to that revelation of God's character, Jesus also reflects God's love. I love how in verse one, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. That the way that we are to read Jesus washing his disciples feet and the way that we are to understand the events that unfold over the next 24 hours of Jesus being tried and being crucified are Jesus loving his people to the end. All the way to death, all the way to the most humiliating death that one could die in his day. That was the nature of his love. And Jesus' motivation here in serving his people is he's motivated by love. A lot of times, I think when we try and serve, we do it with ulterior motives. That we serve in order to uh, get something back. That I scratch your back so that you might scratch mine. 
And it's important for us to see here in this passage that Jesus is not doing that. That he's not just loving the disciples who are going to stick with him. In fact, all the disciples are going to turn from him. The scripture makes it very clear that he points out that Jesus washed Judas's feet. Judas, who a short while later was going to betray him, that Jesus served Judas. So Jesus is not just washing feet so that these guys will stick with me or they'll believe in me or they'll vote me as king. He's not just giving them some favors. No, no. John wants us to see Jesus' motivation is the motivation of love. That he's washing his disciples' feet, not for what they can give back to him, but because this is what God's love is like. God's love is generous. God's love is given to us whether we take it or not. Jesus loved Judas to the end. Jesus loved Peter to the end. Jesus loved John to the end. And for the apostle John, this act of Jesus' love, both in the washing of the feet and on the way to the cross, went on to define John's life and his ministry. And John says, for the people of God, Jesus' example here is our definition of love. In 1 John 3, 16, it says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That here, as we read this story, that this is a picture of the love of God. In our day, we use love to describe many things. We say we love Mexican food. We love the Dallas Cowboys until they go eight and eight again. And, you know, then you get mad at them. But every off season, you renewed hope. I know that's where we all are right now. Uh, But it's been that way for a while. We say we love them. We say we love our family. We say we love our country. We say we love our job. And yet we all know that what that means is I like them right now for how they make me feel. Right. But as a disciple of Jesus, what, what we're supposed to say is my definition of love is not what our culture says. My definition of love is not kind of just anything you want to brand as love. My definition of love is I learned what love is because I've seen love in action in Jesus. And as Jesus washes feet, you and I have the opportunity. We have the reminder. We have the revelation again of what God's love is like. Third thing that we see here uh, is that Jesus realigns what it looks like to be a, a disciple. What does it look like to be a disciple? So Jesus says, you know, Peter, it comes to Peter. He's washing the feet and Peter's like, hey, 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 no, no. Peter says what everyone else uh, is thinking. Like, this is not right. Like, you're the master. I'm the student. You're the leader. I'm the protege. Why are you washing my feet? Why are you doing the thing that a servant ought to do? I should be the one washing your feet. Peter just vocalizes what everyone else is thinking. That's typically what we think should happen, right? But Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand, Peter. Unless you let me wash your feet, you can't have part of me. Part of following Jesus means that we let him wash our feet. That the disciples were to be marked by Jesus washing their feet. That the God that we see in Jesus is one who has come to serve. Not just serve the whole world, but to serve his people, to wash our feet. 
I love this quote that I read that the deeper meaning here in this passage of scripture is that there is no place in the fellowship of Jesus with his disciples for those who have not been cleansed by Jesus' washing from his death on the cross. This symbolizes the truth that we find in 1 John, that we are being cleansed from every sin by the blood of Jesus. So we start to look at what does it mean to follow Jesus? It's not, do we have the right religious language? Do we worship the loudest? Do we go to the best church? Do we vote a certain way? Do we act a certain way? Do we speak a certain way? No, no, no. The litmus test that Jesus is offering, the realignment that we need is, are we letting Jesus wash our feet? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have the best looking feet. My wife has laughed at my feet. She said they look like bricks. They look like Shrek. If you were to see Shrek alive, you know, just real talk in year 19 of marriage, we, we, we get that up. And, you know, you, you see pictures of people's feet. If you want something just jaw dropping, just Google Shaq's feet after this service. You'll thank me later. Just, you know, feet are not the most pleasant thing, right? And in their day, they're wearing sandals. They're walking on a dirt road. And they're animals that are defecating along the side of the road. So you've walked all day. I'm sure you've stepped in some, you know, donkey manure or horse manure, or you just, your feet are nasty, right? Not in a place where it's like, oh yeah, sure, Jesus, you can wash my hand. That, that won't be embarrassing. But no, like, this is like letting Jesus look at, you know, the parts that you would rather keep hidden, that you'd rather keep back from him, the places that feel dirty, like Sean talked about. And that's the place that Jesus went to wash and to clean. And part of what it means for us to be disciples is having the humility in ourselves to say, Jesus, I'm going to let you serve me. Feels uncomfortable even to say. Like it makes sense. Oh, we got to serve God. Sure. But, but it starts with letting God serve us. Letting Jesus serve us. Letting Jesus wash our feet. Letting Jesus wash those places in us that we would, you know, feel like maybe look like Shrek's feet. Or that are dirty or smelly or ugly or, ooh, I don't know about that. And that's the place that Jesus wants to come. Not to expose us, as Sean was talking about, but to bring healing. Not to shame us, but to heal us. So part of being a disciple, part of the place where we encounter Jesus here is by saying, okay, Lord, I want to let you wash me. I want to let you in. I want to let you wash even the places in me that I would rather keep hidden. I want to bring them under your washing power. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 13, he says that you have called me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So we see second kind of mark of what does it mean to be a disciple? It's not just that we're letting Jesus wash us, but that we are following his example, that we are cultivating humility in our life. Not just humility before God, but humility with others in relationships. That we are cultivating a life of service, serving the Lord. Yes, but what Jesus says here, the real litmus test is, 
Are you washing your neighbor's feet? Are you washing one another's feet? Are y'all serving each other? Not because they have served you, but because Jesus has served us. We're having a conversation about the first week of school this week at my dinner table. And my four-year-old um, is, you know, he's, he's kind of learning about life as we all are. And my oldest child just started high school. So we're talking about just new kids, big school, all of those things. My four-year-old is like, look, if any boys are, are mean to you, let me know. And then, and then River make, he, he makes a side comment. He's like, I got to take that class where you learn how to break boards so that if a boy's being mean to my sister and they come over here, I can break them. It's like, okay, well, um, I, don't, I don't really know what to do with that right now. But in his mind, right, the way he's got the math that we all have. You do something mean to me, I'm going to do something mean to you. You, you come at me, I'm going to have taken that class to break those boards, and I'm, I'm going to break you. You know, he's got the hand motions and everything, four-year-old, right? But we all have that math, you know? I got 42-year-old version of it, where we just, where the way that we default to treating people is, how have you treated me? I'm going to treat you back. That same way. You do this to me, I'm going to do it to you. You're good to me, I'm good to you. You're, you're bad to me, I'm bad to you. Oh, it's so challenging to look at what Jesus is saying here. And say, no, 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 you, you can't do that math anymore. The math of, of the kingdom is I have been good to you. And so you go be good to people. And Jesus doing that with Judas. I mean, can you imagine like John and Peter, like several years down the road when this is sunk in? Because Jesus says right now you don't get it. And I imagine you could write that phrase over every page of scripture, like with the disciples of like, hey, right now <laughs> you're not getting all, you're not getting all this. I'm sure the Lord right now to all of us is like, guys, <laughs> you think you got this right now? I love y'all. I love you so much. You're so sincere. You're, you're like, I'm cry you. Know, you don't you don't have this yet. But but Peter and John years down the road, they're thinking, man, Jesus did this with Judas right there before us. Peter is thinking Jesus did this knowing I was going to deny him within 24 hours. And he loved me this way. And this is the mark. It's so challenging. That the litmus test for being a disciple of Jesus, again, is not our religious language. It's not how loud we worship, although I want us to worship loud. It's not me articulating and, and, and doing all this and that. No, no. It's are we humble with people, with the people around us? And are we doing that motivated by love? Are we serving motivated by love? And I don't know about you, but man, this is convicting me. Of just all those places where it's like, ah, you're, you're heading that direction, but, but you have room to grow. This morning I woke up um, doing something besides coughing. And I just had this sense today with this passage of scripture that, yes, God wants to inform our heads. He wants us to, to know the truth. We need to know the truth because the truth sets us free. But I really had a sense that the Holy Spirit wanted to do something in the moment with each of us. So there's something that God wants to speak directly to you and to me here on August the 21st, 2002. But there, there's something that God wants to do. 
So I'm going to get the worship team to come forward. There are three things that just seem highlighted to me. One of those things that I just want to point out is if you're here today and you need Jesus to serve you. Like there are some places in life where you're like, God, I just need your help. I just believe that the Lord by the spirit is here to serve, is here to wash feet, is here to take hidden places, places that feel vulnerable, places where it's like, I wouldn't like for everyone to see that. And the Lord is like, I know, but, but let me, let me help you. Let me wash you. Let me come in and meet those needs. So if you want to stand, if, if you're, you're here and you just realize, man, I need that. When I preach this message before, particularly in Dallas, you can stand. We're in a religious city. And we may have grown up our whole lives in church. We may have grown up our whole lives hearing these things, but we've never actually let Jesus wash us. So if that's you here in a moment, we're going to have our our, our overseers and some of our staff available to pray. I want to give you an opportunity just to come forward and to say either, Lord, I need help. And I want to receive your help today. I want to humble myself and receive your help. I need you to wash me. That's That's one group of people. Second group of people in here that I just, I just think the Lord wants to do something is that we need repentance around areas where we've been walking in pride in relationships with one another. We need repentance on areas where we've been thinking, man, I'm either serving them a lot, they should serve me, or I'm serving with a bad attitude. I'm not serving motivated by love. I'm serving because... I want to get something. So if you need washing, it's like, Lord, I need your help. We want to pray for you. And if you're convicted, I'm convicted as I go through this word of like, Lord, please help me to love and serve the people in my life who don't do what I want them to do, who treat me the way that I don't want them to treat me. When I don't always feel like I'm getting a fair shake, Lord, help. I'm just like, Lord, I repent. Help me. And if that's you, particularly in marriages, particularly in families, particularly in church relationships, we're going to hit three big ones. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity for repentance today. And as we repent before the Lord, again, his washing power is here. So I want to invite the the prayer team to come forward. We're going to pray. Worship team is going to lead us. Jesus, thank you that you're here in our midst by your word and by your spirit. Thank you that you are amongst us as one who serves. Thank you that you are the humble king. Thank you that you are here. There's grace here to wash us and to make us new. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, including myself, everyone who needs your washing and needs your help. Just need you to wash them, Lord. I pray that as we respond to you, Lord, that we'd encounter that grace that you want to give. And I pray that you would help us where we need to repent, where we need to confess, where we need to turn a different way because we've not been humbling ourselves with one another. We've not been loving and serving one another. We've been, we've been being prideful. Or we've been just holding grudges, Lord. We've been bitter, Lord. 
God, we want to humble ourselves before you. So as the worship team leads us, I just believe this is a holy moment. I want to invite you to respond.